just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. Do you remember yesterday or the day before I was talking about a problem I was having with my uh, podcast hosting? I'd put out a podcast and after several hours I saw no listens, which was weird because I always get some listens in the early stages once the podcast goes out. So immediately it goes off in my head. Oh, they must be pissed off about what I said about Spotify and Joe Rogan. Because you see, Spotify owns Anchor.fm, which hosts my podcast. Immediately, I thought they were coming after me. (laughs) Pretty fucking arrogant if you think about it. Well, after a time, I did a chat online with Anchor.fm, and I found out, of course, that um, there was a glitch in the system, there was a power outage or something like that, and they were trying to restore some things, and then later in the day, everything was normal again. (laughs) Well, I felt pretty stupid about that, because immediately I thought they were coming after me, and I realized, well, that's fucking arrogant, why just me? (laughs) you'd think I'd learn a lesson. Well, the next day I'm doing TikToks. And the first two TikToks I do, fine, they're getting the kind of uh, views I would normally get on a TikTok. And then I did two more TikToks, and they were getting zero views. Not low views, zero views. So I tried a couple more, zero views. And even though I didn't learn from the Anchor.fm thing, I'm thinking to myself, oh, those bastards at TikTok, they're coming after me. They're shadow banning me. And I don't even know what that means, actually. But uh, I assumed TikTok was coming after me. Again, that's fucking arrogant and stupid. So I kind of fumed over it. And I said, fuck it. You know what? I'll just do do podcast. Fuck TikTok. (laughs) Well, then after several hours, I threw a TikTok TikTok I'd recorded earlier up just to see what would happen. And, of course, it started getting views. Then I started watching TikToks, and I heard other people doing TikToks and saying, I hope you can see this. I've got several TikToks out there that nobody has watched. So, again, it was a glitch in the system. No, Mike, it's not all about you. (laughs) (laughs) That is my fatal flaw. If someone comes up to me and says something and I don't understand it correctly or I see a post or comment, sometimes I'll take it as an attack. Again, I don't lose my mind. I don't yell and scream. But what I do have a tendency to do is something my mom used to tell me. She said, you know, Mike, you're not crazy. You're not getting mad and stuff like that, but you have a pretty sharp tongue and you will say some shit that is hurtful. (laughs) And frankly, she's right. I do do that. Um, So there's been some times when somebody comments on something and I'll give them a snarky response and they'll go, 
dude, I wasn't being mean. I just meant this. That's the problem with texts and posts and things like that. If you can't see the intent or hear the intent in somebody's voice, sometimes you think it's uh, an attack and it's not. So I have to be careful of that. And if TikTok has problems with their system and Anchor.fm has problems with their system, (laughs) again, it's not all about Mike, so you should calm the fuck down. Anyway, TikTok is running fine. Anchor.fm runs beautifully. And you've heard me say it in the podcast, and I'll say it again. If you're just starting a podcast, I would highly recommend Anchor.fm. It makes it so simple. And I'm not just saying that because they'll pay me or whatever. I'm saying that because it's true. Anyway, let's get down to business here. Well, I, I, I got an email And I've always told you, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, by all means, send me an email. It comes directly to me. It's rationalboomer at gmail.com. You can also go to anchor.fm, find the Rational Boomer, and leave a voicemail message, which a number of people do. But your emails, your comments, your uh, complaints, whatever it is you have, are very important to me. Because I do want to incorporate them into the show. As I've said... I'm not the rational boomer. I'm a rational boomer. I'm one of many. And what the TikToks and podcast has been able to do is bring those people of a like mind together. So as much as I may have something I want to tell you, there's a lot of people out there that have good information. And you should be heard as well. And if you don't feel comfortable doing a TikTok or a podcast, send it to me. I'll make sure your thoughts and uh, ideas get out there because I think that's important. And I'll tell you this right now, it's absolutely important to this show. So I got this uh, email from a gentleman by the name of Brett, and I think this is an excellent email. (laughs) He says, hi, dude and fellow boomer. He's referencing the fact that I mentioned I like being called dude or I call other people dude. He says, just finished listening to your 2-7 podcast, February 7th podcast, Justice for All. I completely agree the justice system in this country is a mess. I worked in law enforcement for 32 years next door in Wisconsin. And what he means by that is I live in Minnesota. Wisconsin is right next door. The training for law enforcement in this country is set up to be militaristic. The police academies are like military boot camps, and cops are taught and indoctrinated with an us-versus-them mentality instead of being a service to the community. Plus, the laws have to change. It's a crime to lie to the police, yet a cop can lie through their teeth as a tactic to get a confession. Although there have been corrupt cops for as long as there has been policing, in my mind, things started to go south with the military, <laughs> why can't I say this? Military, uh, Jesus Christ, militarization. You know what I'm saying? Why? It's early in the morning here, and there's sometimes some words I can't say. Militarization. That was close. Let's just go with that. 
of police forces. Now, this began after the famous L.A. bank robbery shootout where the cops were outgunned and continued after 9-11 when funds poured in to arm and equip police departments. All of a sudden, police were flooded with money, and they went out and bought all the latest military gear. Of course, once you have all that stuff, there's a great temptation to use it. Just like the hammer and nail analogy, I'm not saying cops don't need to have rifles, but there needs to be some discretion. It's troubling that when I go to Brewers games in Milwaukee, there are now cops all over the venue in ninja suits and slung over with rifles. And also there needs to be a psychological testing as part of the recruitment process. Many departments are doing that now, but I think they should be screening for compassion and service-mindedness instead of just looking for sociopaths. They say there's a percentage of people that join the military because they want to kill people. And I think there are a small percentage of cops that want to do the same, or at least have the power over others. Keep up the good work. I enjoy the podcast, Brett. Now, I said in TikTok, this is an outstanding email, and this is exactly why I like hearing from listeners. What he said is actually what I believe and have said before, but he said it oh so much better. And he's right. It's the mindset of our police departments that is causing the problems. I mean, if you know somebody who was in the military, whatever branch, they're taught that uh, (laughs) they're the only ones that count and everybody else's pussies. Honestly, I've had military people tell me that. And I guess that's the attitude you have to be in the Army. you got to be a little confident, a little arrogant, and uh, kind of a hard-ass. I'm going to try this again. <laughs> but with the militarization of uh, the police department, you have that same attitude. But we're talking two different worlds. I mean, if you're in the police department, yes, there are times when you have to use your gun or violence to deal with the situation. I'm under no delusion that there aren't criminals out there that require that kind of response. But generally speaking, that's not the case. But however, the police departments don't seem to change their approach given the situation. I mean, when you watch many police officers out there, it's as if they're a tyrant, they're a king, they're a ruler, and they can tell you to do whatever they want you to do. Even if they don't understand the situation at all, they demand things that they really aren't in a position to demand. I mean, we do have a little thing called the Constitution, and very often police officers will ask something that is unconstitutional, and then whoever they're dealing with has the audacity to say, I have a constitutional right. Well, that just makes them matter, and that's when we get some of the violence and some of the issues we have in policing. And that's a problem. And that's um, an ideology. That is a mental state. And that has to change. I've said this before. I don't think defunding the police or getting rid of the police is a good idea. In fact, that is a fucking stupid idea. And when liberals said defund the police, it was bad messaging and put uh, a 
taint over the whole concept. But let's be honest, there does have to be a change in policing. Something bad is going on here. We're getting innocent people killed one right after the other because of mistakes or because of crazy fucking police officers. Derek Chauvin, crazy. That just shouldn't have happened. This last incident with Amir uh, in Minneapolis should not have happened. And I think that was more of a panic situation. So these people weren't emotionally trained to handle circumstances. The whole idea of a no-knock warrant is fucking ridiculous, especially in that situation, because they were on the seventh floor of an upscale apartment building. There's no reason to do a no-knock there. I mean, Jesus Christ, what's he going to do? Go out the back door? So... It is a mindset within the police force. As much as they want to act like the military, they are not the military. There was a time when we referred to police officers as peace officers. And that's really what they're supposed to be doing, keeping the peace on our streets to keep our innocent people safe. And you don't keep the peace by going out and guns a-blazing. And oftentimes that seems to be the case, or cuffing people or insisting on people doing things that are beyond their constitutional rights. If you're a good police officer, you should be trained to deal with people, maybe have some interpersonal skills so that you can de-escalate a problem and talk things out and work it out um, non-violently. And unfortunately, all too often, that's not the case. If you've got this military attitude, you go out, you throw somebody to the ground, cuff them, uh, abuse them verbally or even physically, and then you find out, well, they didn't do anything wrong, and then you feel foolish. But there's no apology. They just uncuff them and leave. That's the wrong attitude. You work for us, and you're supposed to keep the peace. The first thing they should decide to do is come up and try to de-escalate the problem. Talk to the people. Work it out. Try to keep it as peaceful as possible. So I think what we need to do is change the mindset, and that's exactly what this emailer is saying. And he said it so well. I've said before what I think the answer is to fixing police departments isn't defunding them. It's actually, in my mind, put more money into it. And when I say that, this is what I mean. Don't get them more guns and all that kind of stuff. Make sure they're properly um, outfitted with weapons and safety uh, equipment and that sort of thing. But more importantly, pay police officers more. Not because at this point they deserve more, because they don't. They're doing a shitty job. But if you pay better... You can expect a better class of applicants and employees. Do something to draw or lure better applicants for the police department. And once you decide you want to hire a police officer, then they have to go through some extensive training, not only logistically and technically, but emotionally and intellectually we got to find out if these people are smart enough to be police officers. Because to be perfectly honest with you, there are plenty of police officers that aren't very smart. 
Secondly, we've got to understand if they're emotionally capable of had, having handling this job. Or do they have some compassion? Do they want to do service like this email commenter did or said? That's important. And then we run them through all kinds of training and testing. You're paying these people a lot of money. You can, can expect a lot from them. So you give them training in dealing with people. Try to increase their interpersonal skills. Give them negotiation skills, but not when you're dealing with somebody who's uh, you know, in a house holding hostages, but negotiations just on the street with everyday public. Learn how to handle them. Now, you see, the problem is you've got the police being violent, and you've got their opposition, the criminals being really violent. And here's what you have to understand. When the police come out and just become violent, then their opposition, the criminals, will react in kind. So, in fact, what the police department are doing is encouraging and cultivating violence on the streets. The criminals know that these guys are going to come guns a-blazing and they're going to go after them, so they prepare for it. Now, I'm not excusing criminals for being violent. Those people should be handled accordingly. But it seems like when the police come out and talk to anybody, they assume that these people are criminals and they're going to be violent, even if they're not. So that means there are a lot of good citizens being treated poorly. Now, there are a lot of white people that think, well, I'm not black, so I won't get shot in my apartment or in my car or whatever. And maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But here's the thing, that mindset affects everybody. Some of these people that they feel might be criminals are uh, um, are going to be treated badly and there might be some violence and people will end up dead. That's unacceptable. But even if you're an old white person, these people still have that mindset. Maybe they won't treat you like a young black man in an apartment, but they still will treat you badly. I've experienced it. When somebody pulls you over and has an attitude and runs you through the ringer when you've really done nothing wrong and, uh, it's just an entire mindset. These people don't understand their job. So we need to pay better, get better candidates, train them extensively, and test them. And then when they're out on the street, there is no second chance. Because a second chance might mean a death to an innocent citizen. So you train them, you test them. When you finally put them on the street, you let them do their job to the best ability. You encourage them to do the job the right way as opposed to being, you know, some fucking Marine. And then when they make a mistake, if it's an egregious mistake, they're gone. If you're paying them a lot of money and have a lot of expectations, you have the right to get them gone if they fuck up or they take the right wrong mindset and put uh, innocent people in danger so brett i want to thank you for that email that was an awesome email your point is well taken i agree with you a hundred percent and we need to change the mindset in our policing in this country well, here's something that's kind of interesting. We've been hearing about the National Archives. You know, they turned over all those White House documents. 
to the House Select Committee. Donald Trump did whatever he could to try to keep that from happening, but he lost three times in court, federal court, appellate court, and again in the Supreme Court. Now, here's here's what the National Archives is telling us. Even though they were able to turn over the documents, there's still some problems here. The problem is that apparently with some regularity, habitually, Donald Trump ripped up documents, shredded documents, burned documents. Donald Trump even stole documents, 15 boxes of documents, and brought them to Mar-a-Lago when he left office. And now the National Archives is telling us that in those 15 boxes there were some classified documents. Now, this is in direct violation of something called the Presidential Records Act, and that's a serious crime. You see, any document that's generated in the White House, the Oval Office, or anywhere in government, uh, politics, it is the property of the U.S. government. If you destroy it or you steal it, that is a serious offense. You can't do that shit. But Donald Trump appears to have been doing this rampantly. All the time. And the thing about it is, the people around him in the administration knew that was illegal. They told Donald Trump over and over over again, you cannot do this, it's illegal. But of course, Donald Trump thinks he can do anything. He's a narcissist, so he thinks the only important person is him. And anything he says or he does is the gospel direct from God. Well, we know he's wrong about that. So what would happen is these advisors would pick up these torn pieces of paper and try to tape them back together and uh, put them in the files that would go to the National Archives. But again, Donald Trump would shred these things, and that would make it impossible to put them back together, or he would burn them. People say, burn them? Yeah, they, they found these burned bags, And I thought that was weird at first, but then I looked into it, and I found out that, yes, some government officials have burn bags. And that is when you have a top-secret document document that you can't keep for whatever reason. They would put these documents in burn bags, burn them, and do away with them. Well, there may be rare occasions when you need that burn bag, but apparently Donald Trump used it with some regularity. And the fact that he stole these documents makes it even more egregious, even more a violation of the Presidential Records Act. Now, here's the interesting thing to consider. Whenever we talk about crimes of a president, they always bring up this point where they say, well, it depends on the intent. It depends on the intent That's ridiculous. What they're saying is, did he really know that what he was doing was wrong? Because if he didn't know what he was doing is wrong, it may be a different scenario. Really? So if I'm robbing a bank and happen to kill somebody in the process, and I get arrested and I say, look, you shouldn't try me for murder because I didn't really intend to kill the guy. It was just a mistake or I lost it or whatever. That's absolutely ridiculous. Ignorance is no excuse for a crime. Intent, you committed the crime. There are people that get in their cars, maybe have a couple too much to drink, run over somebody and kill them. 
They're still prosecuted. They intended to drive home. They happened to be drunk, and they ran somebody over. They had no intent in running this person over, but they did, and they need to pay the price. So I don't understand this whole intent thing. But as I've said before, Donald Trump, when he speaks, he tends to fuck himself over. And on this situation, he did. Because you remember, for the past five years, Donald Trump has screamed about Hillary's um, emails and how she destroyed them. He demonstrated in all these talks how much he knew about this law and how he knew that it was criminal to destroy documents. He said Hillary Clinton should go to jail. Okay. Well, here's the problem. He did all this, and if we're worried about his intent clearly for the past five years when he's been railing on Hillary Clinton, he knew exactly what the law was. He knew that you couldn't do it, and he knew that somebody could go to jail if they did it. Yet, he still did it. You see the problem here? If he goes to court over these things and says, well, I didn't know, all I have to do is bring up these speeches and play them, and he clearly knew what it was about. He clearly knew that it was illegal. So Donald Trump, once again, all he does is have to speak out, and he fucks himself over. You have to understand that Donald Trump's got a lot of investigations going on. He's got the... um, destroying of documents, which is a small crime compared to treason and some of the other things and the uh, tax laws and the insurance laws and the whole attempt in trying to overturn the election by coercing the Secretary of State in Georgia. This is a small crime. But with all these investigations going on, all you really need is one to stick and more than one will stick. But all you need is one. And that takes Donald Trump out of the playing field. Get him indicted for anything. And now he's wrapped up in a court case. And if he gets convicted, he will no longer be able to run for any office at all. So Donald Trump is fucked. People keep telling me, oh, nothing's going to happen to them. I'm tired of that. Because plenty has already happened to him. You're acting as if nothing happened to him since he's left office. A lot of shit has happened. And you got to pay attention and understand there's a a progression to this whole thing. It isn't like he walks out of office, they put him in handcuffs and put him in jail. As much as you would like that to happen, that's not how it goes. Fucking justice is slow and that sucks, but you got to deal with it. You can't whine and cry and say, well, they're doing nothing about it. They're doing a lot. His fucking company's been indicted, which means that company will end up bankrupt and Donald Trump will have a lot less money. That's one thing. There's all kinds of investigations. There's exposures every day to his crimes. And it just eats away at his power and his grip. We're seeing it now with the Republican Party splitting up. They've gone a bridge too far, and now some of the Republicans are saying, no, 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 no. No, you can't say I'll pardon all the insurrectionists. You can't say that it was a legal political discourse. We're not not buying into that. And as they do that, that weakens Donald Trump's situation. 
and it weakens the Republican Party. So don't tell me nothing's going on. Plenty's going on. Just fucking relax. Be patient. Don't be children about this. Just watch it play out. And trust me, things are going to go down and you'll be pleased by how Donald Trump ends up. Well, here's an interesting move I wasn't expecting. Congress is moving to ban all trading of stocks while in an elected office, which is interesting given that Nancy Pelosi initially was against it. Somebody asked her, are you for stopping all trading of stocks by people in Congress and the Senate? And she said, I am not. No doubt Nancy Pelosi has benefited from trading stocks while in office. Now, it's been a long believe that politicians were making millions and millions of dollars with insider trading. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You go in and you have a job that pays you $175,000 a year, but somehow when you leave office, you're multimillionaires. And there's been a lot of trading going on amongst our elected officials. And these people have made unprecedented amounts of money. And why? Well, they get a lot of information that the rest of us don't get about different companies or different situations or programs coming out. And they jump on it and they invest and they make tons of money. Now, there have been all kinds of trading violations within Congress and in the Senate. Funny thing is, there doesn't seem to be any enforcement of it. There doesn't seem to be any consequences from uh, committing those infractions. I won't even say laws because I don't know that they're laws. So these Tommy Tuberville of the House of Representatives, that fucking insurrectionist piece of shit, has um, broken those rules almost like hundreds of times. And they keep enriching themselves, and they keep breaking these rules, but nothing ever happens to them. So now there's a trend in Congress to say no elected official can trade stocks while they're in office. It doesn't mean they can't have stocks. If they come in owning stocks, that's fine. They're talking about putting that in a blind trust, and they can't do any trades while they're in office. And that seems reasonable. I mean, when you are elected to an office, you get a lot of perks. You shouldn't be able to enrich yourself by breaking the fucking law, by using insider training to benefit from your investments. And that's clearly what's happening. And I watched um, uh, Representative Rhea Paul talking about it. And they said there are definitely some legal infractions going on and nobody's paying a price. But there's also perception of this. Because this is going on, the general public looks at uh, our elected officials as being less than honest. And that perception is important. These people are leading our country. These people are representing us. And at the very least, these people should try to appear to be above reproach. And as long as they have the ability to do insider trading, that perception is going to be that they're cheating. They're lying. They're stealing. They're breaking the law. They're acting as if they're better than us. And let's be honest, that's exactly what's happening. So now there's maybe a couple of bills in Congress to stop that. Now, there are a lot of people that are against it because they've made a lot of money doing it. But the heat is on. Things are 
becoming exposed more about it, and people are talking about it more. So even Nancy Pelosi has changed her position on this. She was dead set against it. But now, all of a sudden, she's for it, which is kind of an interesting change. And it makes me think about some other things that may be going in Congress. So this is something that's never been addressed. They were just allowed to do it, commit the infractions, but continue to do it. And they kept making more and more money. But somebody in Congress brings this up. It gets publicity. People start hearing it. Now, I've always said it's impossible to get Congress to police themselves. They're not going to do something that hurts themselves. And since they're the only ones policing it, nothing ever gets fixed. And that's true. But this is the exception. One or a couple of members of Congress have brought this up. And it rose far enough up where it starts to get publicity. And once the publicity gets out there, all these people that were against stopping the insider trading now have to say, oh, yeah, I agree. It's public opinion pressure. And I've said that before, that public opinion can apply some pressure. But it's got to get out there first. So we've got some people in Congress that are actual heroes because they brought this up and Now there's no choice. Even though these people don't want to stop the insider trading, they almost have to now because everybody knows about it. Everybody's talking about it, and they look bad if they're against stopping it. So that peer pressure or that uh, public opinion pressure is forcing them to go against what they normally would say. Now, this is an interesting trend uh, because we talk about other things like term limits, I've said the same thing about term limits. There's no way there's ever going to be term limits in spite of the fact everybody in America thinks it's a good idea. And it's because the only way we're going to get term limits is if Congress does it to themselves. And we know that's not going to happen. But maybe, like with this insider trading situation, say that finally passes and they have to stop trading while they're in office. That may keep them in office for a shorter period of time, which would be good. But then maybe somebody in Congress says has, has some uh, conscience and has some righteousness in their heart and says, we should have term limits too. And once that is raised and it starts stirring around in public and in the media and people get wind of it and the public opinion says, yeah, 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 we want that then maybe they'll be forced into doing something like that too. People have always asked me, well, what do we do about it? And I've always said, there's nothing you can do. As long as these people don't do it to themselves and they won't, there's nothing we can do. The system is fucked up. But this has changed it a little bit. Somebody did step up in Congress. They brought it up themselves, and they got it to the point where The publicity was as such that anybody speaks about not stopping the trading. They look bad. And maybe, maybe we'll see something similar with term limits and those sorts of things. But this is a good thing to see. This is the Congress policing themselves when they never have done that before. So I guess if you ask what the answer is to make these changes is to 
elect people who have the courage and the righteousness to at least bring it up, throw it into the ring, and let's talk about it. And if the public opinion says, yeah, 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 we want it, then maybe we can get some changes. Well, we know uh, the talk of seizing voting machines. We've heard about this for a long time. And actually, when we first heard about it, uh, we didn't think much of it. You know, there was a lot of conspiracy theories and all this stuff. And yeah, Donald Trump was going to try to seize the voting machines. But there wasn't a lot of attention to it because I don't think a lot of people believed it. It's so outrageous, so blatant. Not even Donald Trump and the Trump administration would do something like that. Well, then we find out that Donald Trump asked Homeland Security, the Pentagon, and the DOJ to seize voting machines. Now, fortunately, there were bright enough people and honest enough people in those departments to say, yeah, no, we're not doing that. That could cause some legal problems for those people that agreed with it. And they were just not going to do it, even if Donald Trump asked them. But it didn't stop there. It really didn't stop there. Then the Trump administration went directly to the states. A Michigan prosecutor was asked by Rudy Giuliani to seize voting machines. And again, they were denied this. But this shows a pattern and a tenacity of criminal treason. A pattern of behavior, which is something that's taken in consideration when uh, somebody's being prosecuted. And I think we're going to find this going deeper. Apparently, he talked to a couple of prosecutors in Michigan trying to get them to seize the voting machines. I'm guessing you'll find out he did the same thing in Arizona, in Georgia, and other places around the country. Now, this is um, this is interesting because, again, these are pretty flagrant, pretty blatant crimes, and they are crimes against this country, and we have evidence that this was happening. I mean, we know he asked the Pentagon, we know he asked Homeland Security, we know he asked the DOJ, and now we have proof that Rudy Giuliani, who was representing Donald Trump at the time, did it. This is a direct action from the White House, from the Oval Office, to seize voting machines after a free and fair election and do something with them. The question is, what were they going to do? What were they going to do? Were they going to bring them back in and try to change them? I can't imagine they're bright enough to do that. What they probably were going to do is create chaos, which is Donald Trump's um, trademark. You create the chaos, you create the uncertainty, and then you change the narrative. That's what Donald Trump does all the time. Thankfully, nobody was gutless enough to give in to Donald Trump. But in the end, we have a lot of evidence that Donald Trump, in fact, did this, which is troubling, which is illegal. So among the many things that Donald Trump is in trouble for, this one is a big one. This is trying to overturn a legal election, and ultimately overthrow the government. There's going to be a price to be paid on these efforts, whether it be Donald Trump directly or Rudy Giuliani or other members of the administration, I don't know. 
but this can't be allowed to happen. Because if you don't enforce these measures on something this egregious, then you're going to get other people to attempt to do it as well. Now, I would hope that there's nobody else that would be elected president that would be nearly as stupid or criminal as Donald Trump. But still, there is that opening, that loophole that people can try because Donald Trump did it. So there has to be some accountability for this in order to um, dissuade other people from trying it down the line. We talk about Merrick Garland, and he's afraid to get too political, so he's questioning whether or not he's going to prosecute certain things. Well, in this case, if he doesn't prosecute it, well, then uh, he's going to have to uh, um, deal with other political issues. And actually, now that you, I mentioned that, I want to go back to the National Archives. Something else came out about the National Archives that is interesting. And we'll probably see the same thing with this attempt at uh, seizing voting machines. The National Archives talking about the handling of all the documents, the burning, the shredding, the stealing, the ripping up. Well, the National Archives did something that... Uh, it's good to see. The National Archives has referred this problem of destroying documents to the DOJ for legal problems. Because clearly what happened with destroying the uh, documents, they that's illegal. That's completely a violation of the Presidential Records Act. And so... Now the National Archives has referred it to the DOJ and to Merrick Garland and said, these appear to be crimes. You need to investigate the handling of documents by Donald Trump and the administration. So now what that does is it forces Merrick Garland and the DOJ to do something about it. Now, they could try to ignore it. But now, again, like I said before, with this public information and public opinion, it's going to be hard for them to do that. So now you have that referral from the National Archives. There's probably going to be a referral from uh, um, Congress in terms of his attempt to seize voting machines. And as they keep referring this to the DOJ, you would like to see them go after all of these things. And I assume they will. But even if they go after just one, that's all it's going to take is to uh, get Donald Trump out of the equation. So this is going to be very interesting. This is going to be a, um, a problem for Donald Trump, no question about it. Now, you've no doubt seen Peter Navarro a lot on TV, especially lately. Peter Navarro is a former trade advisor for the Trump administration. Now, this fuck is arrogant, loudmouth. He's an idiot. This guy is such an idiot that he's been all over cable news basically confessing his part in the attempted coup. He's been very proud of the plan and the strategies that he came up with in order, order, in order to overturn the election and overthrow the government. I mean, he's standing up there on TV telling exactly what he did, and he's proud of it. And that's been all over the place. Now, this is a special kind of stupid. 
because now the House Select Committee has subpoenaed him to testify. It's going to be interesting. He's quite the big talker. (laughs) So you would assume, since he's given out all this information on TV, that he'd be more than happy and more than proud to sit in front of the House Select Committee and tell the same story. I mean, he's already fucking told it on TV. But now what Peter Navarro is saying that... um, the January 6th committee are domestic terrorists coming after fair and honest people and destroying their lives. <laughs> Man, Peter Navarro seems like a mini Trump. What he's doing is projecting. What Peter Navarro was doing was domestic terrorism, was attempting a coup on the United States of America. And he's ranting about it everywhere. But now the House Select Committee wants to talk to him. And, uh, yeah, not so much because they're mean guys. I don't want to talk to them. We have executive privilege. He actually threw that out there. Well, let me explain to you something about executive privilege. Well, we've talked about it before. But now it should be finalized. We understand that executive privilege can only be extended by a sitting president, who is Joe Biden, who has refused to do that. But still, they want to act as if Donald Trump still has executive privilege power, which he does not. And Donald Trump tested that power by going to the federal court in terms of the documents coming from the National Archives. He uh, took it to court. He lost resoundingly. He took it to the appellate court. He lost resoundingly. And then he appealed it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, we don't even want to hear this. It's not worth the time. There is no case here. So from the federal court all the way up to the Supreme Court, they as much as said is, yeah, there's no executive privilege. So for Navarro to sit here and say, I have executive privilege, you're coming a little late to the party, Pete. You're an arrogant fuck, but clearly you're a dumb fuck, too, because you confess on TV, and now you're spurning the House Select Committee because you don't want to talk to them because they're domestic terrorists. Pete, you're in a corner right now, and you're in fucking trouble. And you're one of the lower echelon people here. You're going to be a sacrificial lamb. You're probably going to go to jail, dude, and uh, that is a problem for you. It will be good for the country to get somebody like you off the streets, off the TV, and out of government because you are a domestic terrorist. Now, Mitch McConnell and other Republicans admitted that January 6th was a violent insurrection. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy Well, he held strong. He was going to stick by Donald Trump. He would not say that it was a violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. I mean, this guy was so adamant about not saying it that he was running through the Capitol, running away from the press. It was hysterical. There was plenty of video of it. Some people would ask him a question, and he would just bolt. It's kind of like when when I hear my wife tells a story about uh, elementary school, and you get that one kid that uh, that would run away, just run outside wherever, just run for no apparent reason, 
and they would always say the same thing about them, and I would say the same thing about Kevin McCarthy. As soon as the press comes up to him and he takes off, we all we have to say is, we got a runner. <laughs> and Kevin McCarthy, the funny thing about Kevin McCarthy, when he ran away, he didn't appear athletic. He, 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 looked, like, he looked like a bully when the, all the kids on the uh, playground turned against him, and now we're coming after the bully. And he was running away like a, like a, a seventh grade or fifth grade bully. And now he's changed his tune. And again, public opinion comes into play. Now Kevin McCarthy, in spite of the fact that he was running away from the press, he's got all these other people, Mitch McConnell, uh, Tom Tillis, Mitt Romney, and all these people speaking against these comments by the RNC, you know, the... uh, Republican National Committee, or as Hakeem Jeffries calls it, the Republican National Cult, and I think that's more accurate. Um, There's a split in the party. There's a crack in the cult, if you will, and that's a problem for the Republican Party and a problem for the people that have been continuing the narrative of of, uh, election fraud and stop the steal and all that shit. So now Kevin McCarthy has felt the pressure. He stopped running, and he admitted that, yes, it was a violent insurrection. Uh, He said, I I would think nobody would believe otherwise. Well, Kev, half your party, three-fourths of your party believes that and keeps spouting it. You kept spouting it until you got too much pressure from other people in your party and until public opinion got to the point where they thought you were ridiculous for stating those things. So instead of saying, sorry, I'm wrong, you just flipped, and now you're saying the other. I have a, I'm under the assumption that you probably won't talk about it much because it's embarrassing to you. But it just goes to show a little pressure is applied and they change things up very quickly, very quickly. This is what's going to happen with the Republican Party. That party is going to split. People are going to peel away from the Trump cult and try to be a little bit more normal. Too much information is coming out. There's going to be too much pressure applied. And this is where the problem for the Republican Party happens. And this is why I've said that 2022, the midterms, isn't a foregone conclusion for the Republicans, because the Republicans are going to have more and more problems as more and more information and evidence is exposed. And we're seeing it play out right now in front of us with what's happening with the beliefs of the insurrection. People are put in a position where they're pressured, and they have to admit that it was a violent insurrection. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's videos. How can you deny it? Still, there'll be a lot of people that do it. Kevin McCarthy did it to the very end, and now he's flipped the other way. Not because he wanted to, but because he had to. It was obvious the pressure was there and his own people were going against him. He couldn't afford to continue with that narrative without taking a beating. And, of course, he wants to be the House uh, Speaker of the House, so he can't look bad. That's what this is all about. He was taking whatever side was going to benefit him, and now he's seeing that taking the side of Trump is not going to benefit for him.
Instead of being righteous and going down the line and continuing to do what you believe, he believes nothing. He believes whatever is going to get him the House or Speaker of the House job, and that's all he fucking cares about. So uh, Kevin McCarthy ran away for a while, then he wimped out and folded up and died. That's what I like to see. A couple of other quick things. Uh, there was a lot of speculation about Bob Saget's death. Now, Trump Fox tried to say it was, oh, it was the COVID booster that killed him. Others said it was a heart attack. Turns out he had some kind of head trauma, and he died of a brain bleed. Somehow his head got hit, and he laid down on the bed, and he passed away from his brain bleeding. Now, I don't know if he bumped his head in the shower or somebody hit him on the head. I really don't know. Nobody's ever said anything. And hopefully more information will come out about that. It's a sad story. Bob Saget, a funny guy, seemingly a nice guy, and he died far too young. (laughs) Now, this last story is my favorite story of all. It's regarding stupid-ass Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene was being interviewed on TV, and she's feeling the pressure of the Democrats because, well, she's an insurrectionist. We know she was tied to all this shit, so there's all kinds of investigations going on. And she was besmirching the Capitol Police. (laughs) And she was trying to explain how mean and how criminal these police and these other investigations are going against people in Congress. How dare they? And, and, and she said on TV, she said, and that Capitol Police, that's Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police. <laughs> My God. She was trying to say Gestapo, but she's not bright enough to know the difference between gazpacho. Uh, Gaspacho and Gestapo. Gestapo was a violent um, group with the Nazis who hurt and killed millions of people. Gaspacho, on the other hand, is a an Italian cold soup. <laughs> I've said all along that Marjorie Taylor Greene is dumb as a fucking rock, and so is Lauren Boebert, and so is all of these people. But this illustrates it perfectly. She can't even come up with a simple word. She can't use it properly. She doesn't know the difference between the Gestapo and the Gaspacho. (laughs) There's been a lot of play out there about this, and hopefully she finds it embarrassing, and hopefully the people that voted her into office are embarrassed and get her the fuck out of office. She has no business being there. Even if she wasn't a criminal insurrectionist, she's far too stupid to hold any kind of elected office. (sighs) Gaspacho. I love that. What a fucking ignorant, stupid... I don't even want to say anymore. I could get real mean here, and it's not like I don't get mean, but I don't want to push it here. But you know what I mean. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a stupid bitch. That's as far as I want to push it. But I could say more, and I'm sure you're thinking more. But let's try to keep it civil here. (laughs) Imagine that. Mike on the Rational Boomer trying to keep things civil. Well, that's not really always the way I do it, but what the hell. All right, we're going to wrap up this Rational Boomer podcast. Hope you are having a great day. I want to thank you very much for spending the time with me and listening, taking that time. A couple of things I wanted to mention. 
I wanted to mention a couple things before I go. Some people have asked me to do a podcast with video. Now, I have no reason to understand why they would want to do that. This face is not my strong suit. (laughs) And I don't know how it would help any podcast. But I could do that. I wouldn't do that in place of this podcast. This podcast will stay the same. But I could do a secondary podcast, maybe a shorter podcast, in a video form. Now, on my platform where I do my podcast, there is a way to do that uh, um, video podcast, maybe a 15, 20-minute video podcast. I could do that. The only thing about doing that on Anchor.fm, it only shows up on Anchor.fm and Spotify. At this point, that's all they allow it to be shown on. So those folks with Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts wouldn't be able to see it. So that's the one thing that's held me back from it. Maybe there are other options. I don't know. And I really don't understand why anybody would want to see a video podcast. But I'd throw that out there and see what you think. Now, the other thing is I think I am going to do. And it's, <laughs> it's not about my ego. It's about getting more information out. And people have been asking me to do longer podcasts. Um, and, you know, frankly, as it is, I'm doing it like six days a week, 45, 50 minutes. That's a lot of shit. But one of the things I've been thinking about doing, too, is doing two podcasts in a day. Not two of the same podcast, different podcast, different information, and maybe doing another shorter one at some other point in the day, kind of a bridge from one podcast to the other. I don't know. I have to think about that. I'd be happy to do it, and it would be easy enough to do. Uh, but... I'm putting out a lot of information by doing it virtually every day. I don't want to over override what I'm trying to pull off here. So I'll put that out to you. Video podcast and maybe another shorter podcast per day. So that would be two podcasts per day. I may even just try it to see what happens. Anyway, think about that. Get back to me. You can always email me at at uh, rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm, find Rational Boomer Podcast, and leave me a voicemail message. You have a great day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.